five murder mysteries you've never heard about. Murders are heinous crimes. Some get solved easily, but others are more complicated. The cases on this list are not only those that still leave the culprit unknown, but they're also ones that never got the publicity they deserved. These are five murder mysteries you've never heard about. Number five, Brad St. Clair. On August 7, 2000, a local property manager named Brad St. Clair started his work day like any other. At night, he was finishing up work at St. Clair Investments, a business he had in Bakersfield, California. And at 5 p.m., his wife called to confirm dinner plans. Soon after the call, Brad's secretary, Susan, along with her boyfriend, Keith, entered Brad's office. The plan was to kidnap Brad and hold him for ransom, thinking they would make a lot of money from him. But they didn't expect Brad to fight back. Police later discovered there was an intense struggle inside. Ceiling tiles were out of place. There were footprints over desks and bloodstains on the door near the exit. At 6 p.m. that day, when Brad still hadn't come home, his wife thought there might be a maintenance call or other business he had to tend to. Police were soon called, though, into the property, and when they entered, they found Brad's body. He had been bound using duct tape, was covered in bruises and scrapes, along with various cuts to the back of his head. He was then strangled using his own necktie. During the investigation, police were led to the involvement of Brad's secretary. Police later discovered that Susan had previously approached his brother, Robert, to help her and Shell in the kidnapping of Brad. Robert declined, of course, and told detectives about the plan. Both Susan and Keith were arrested for kidnapping and murder. Shell's palm prints were also discovered on the duct tape used to tie Brad's feet together. The following year, the killers were convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. But just because both of them were arrested didn't mean the case is closed. In fact, the blood on the office door didn't match Susan or Keith's or even Brad. And so police believe there was another person involved in the crime. Police tried to match the unknown DNA to two of Susan's friends, but the two were both eliminated as being the third person there. They still have potential suspects they are looking into, but are not saying anything more since the case is ongoing. As of 2018, the secret witness Kern County is offering a $20,000 reward for any information regarding this murder case. Those who know something are encouraged to call and offer up their information. Number 4. Francis Worthington on January 1, 1996, 76-year-old Frances Worthington from Knoxville, Tennessee, was found dead inside her home. That morning, her son Mike phoned her to check on his mom. When she didn't answer the calls, he decided to head to her home and check. Once he got there, he found something disturbing. Police said it was an unusual crime scene. Items were scattered in the house. Flour and sugar were thrown on the floor in what seemed like an attempt by the intruder to find hidden valuables. Blood was splattered in the hallway floor, soaking the walls and the carpet where her body was found. Frances suffered vicious injuries to her body. She was struck once, then hit a second time in the back, and then a third time. The killer then violated her using a wine bottle. 
Her nightgown was left bunched up around her neck. Afterward, the intruder sprinkled miniature chocolate and coins around her body. Days after the incident, the officers arrested 18-year-old Wayne Womack Jr., known to have done several burglaries in the area. When Womack was questioned, he admitted being in the house but claimed Donnie killed Francis. But according to police, the Donnie character was in jail for a different crime when the attack happened. Womack was taken into custody for probable cause and the case was sent to the grand jury. That jury, however, returned a no-true bill against Womack, claiming they were not ready to indict him. No other person has been charged in relation to the case. As for the Worthington family, it was a terrible crime that dug deeply. The initial reaction to their mother's violent death was shock and anger, but eventually they've learned to forgive their mother's attacker. Dr. Everett Worthington, a retired psychology professor, said it was crucial for him to forgive his mother's attacker. His siblings also managed to offer forgiveness to the killer. For Mike Worthington, however, the sorrow and loss was too great. Ever since he found his mother's body, he's fallen into a deep depression, and in 2005, he took his own life. The case remains open, though. Although they have a lot of evidence, there isn't enough to charge the suspect. Those who have information about the case are encouraged to contact the Knoxville Police Department Violent Crimes Unit. Number 3. Hannah Williams Benson Williams called 911 in a panic. He said his daughter, 17-year-old Hannah, was missing. He said that she had drove off with a rental car and was taking antidepressants. The dispatcher asked if he was concerned Hannah might harm herself, and her father responded, I am. The dispatcher asked further if Hannah ever mentioned hurting herself before, to which her father replied no, but repeated, she's on medication right now, and that she's never done this before. What he didn't know was that his daughter Hannah had been shot by police 90 minutes prior. She was shot for pointing what would later be discovered as a toy gun at the officer after failing to stop her vehicle when an officer asked her to. Hannah was driving a rental black SUV on July 5th right after 7 p.m. in Anaheim, Orange County. An officer with a canine unit saw the vehicle speeding in motion to pull her over. Before doing so, the driver of the SUV, though, seemed to intentionally drive into the police car before trying to make a U-turn into oncoming traffic. With repeated warnings from the officer to get out of the vehicle, the young girl finally got out of the SUV and appeared to point a gun at the policeman. Shots were fired and later, Hannah was seen on the ground from the officer's body camera. Toy gun manufacturers are ruled by California law to add a bright orange marker at the tip of the gun to indicate it's a toy, but the one Hannah was holding didn't have that. Wounded with a bullet to her chest, officers arrested the girl and applied first aid while waiting for the ambulance. Hannah later died at the hospital. When news of the shooting broke out, many were appalled, thinking an officer had randomly shot an unarmed teen. Her family and their lawyer still contend she's unarmed despite pointing what looks like a real gun at the officers as seen in the video. There were also questions regarding Hannah's behavior. Apparently, she only had a learner's permit and no driver's license. Her family later said she had never driven the car outside of their neighborhood before. 
yet initial statements made by her family said she was given permission to take the car for an errand. Regardless, the end was a tragedy. Many speculate Hannah was likely suicidal or had an adverse effect on the antidepressant she was taking, causing her to be suicidal. County police continue to investigate the case. They are looking to see if the officer acted appropriately and if his actions were justified under the law. Number 2. Bumblebee Road Murders For a young Scottsdale, Arizona couple, it was supposed to be a happy day. It was their first anniversary, and they celebrated it by going on a camping trip to Sunset Point, just off Bumblebee Road. Only the couple never came back alive. It was October 2003 when 19-year-old Lisa Guerreri and 20-year-old Brandon Roomba celebrated their first year of dating. The two had planned to head out that Friday night using their white truck. It was going to be an overnight trip and they would be heading back Saturday morning. Although Lisa told her mother about the short trip, she asked her not to tell her uncle because she knew he would worry. When they didn't come back early Saturday morning, they were then reported missing. A search party was sent out and a group of friends found the truck with the couples in the back dead. They had been killed from multiple gunshot wounds to the head. Investigators found random camping items in the truck, and they also discovered a disposable camera that contained a film roll showing solo shots of the couple at the back of the truck. However, the investigation hit plenty of snags early on. For instance, the truck was processed at night instead of the police waiting until morning so they could see better. There were possible suspects that acted suspiciously days and weeks following the deaths of the couple. Some were interviewed once but never followed up on. For years, this case went cold. Initially, detectives thought the couple may have known the killer, but later investigators believe it's possible the couple may not have known the attacker at all. Authorities believe the suspect intended to steal the truck, but were surprised to find the couple in the back. While there's no physical proof this may have been the case, the reason for this new speculation is that six months after the couple was killed, there was another murder. Two men from Yuma, who were camping around Crown King, just minutes from Bumblebee Road, were also shot dead and their truck was taken. When the suspect for this was later found in Colorado, though, he committed suicide. Despite this possibility that the two cases might be linked, it remains nothing but speculation for now. Officers are currently bringing back the focus on the case, hoping to finally shed light on what happened to the young couple. Right now, they're doing DNA testing to see if the suspect might have accidentally left behind evidence as he rifled through the various items in the truck. For 16 years, the case has remained open. The YCSO is currently offering a $10,000 reward for anybody who has information about the crime. Number 1 Jerry Mike Bayless. On October 3, 1970, 11-year-old Jerry Mike Bayless took his brother's paper route and cruised the morning streets of his neighborhood in Indianapolis, Indiana. His older brother, Buddy, was sick, so Mike covered for him. That morning, Mike got on his bike and started delivering his papers at 5 to 5.30 a.m., he managed to deliver to two houses before neighbors heard a scream, and then he was gone. 
His damaged bike was found along with the rest of the newspapers he was supposed to deliver. A report and search immediately was underway, but there was no sign of the boy. Four hours later, and 50 miles from where he was taken, Mike's body was found by a farmer in Henry County, north of Knightstown. Mike's body was found unclothed except for a pair of socks, but he had not been molested. He had multiple stab wounds on his body, and the coroner estimated he had died within an hour after he delivered the last paper. Despite witnesses, there was no motive and no suspect to link to the crime. Although investigators did make an arrest months later, a pedophile who was a resident of the Central State Hospital, the suspect was never charged and has since passed. For years, the case went cold. William Ott, a former schoolmate of Mike's, began collecting information and newspaper clippings of the case. He felt it was his duty to figure out what happened to Mike. In 2015, he started a website dedicated to Bayless. He created timelines, pinpointed locations of the crime while collecting any information he could about the case. Months after establishing his website, Ott received a call from a woman who came across the site. During the crime, the only known witness was a man who lived down the street who said he saw the killer take the young boy. The witness has since passed away, and it was his daughter who called Ott with an unusual story. On the phone, she began crying and said that her father, the witness, had a mean temper. She and her entire family lived in fear of the man. On the day Mike went missing, the caller said she had a cup of coffee with her father that day. On their way back home, the young boy came from the bank of the road and drove out in front of her father, which caused him to slam on the brakes spilling his coffee. This made him lose his temper and that he abducted the boy. The woman later said it was a sort of a family secret. She also added that at a young age, she was only seven years old at the time, she had seen her father roll up his bloody clothing, including the knife used to kill the young boy. Their father repeatedly threatened the family, and even though she tried talking to the police at the time, no one would listen to her. Detectives admit it's difficult to confirm the story, but William Ott is hopeful. Today the case is still open, and anyone who has information about it is encouraged to call the Indiana State Police. So there were five murder mysteries you've never heard about. These murder cases are as brutal as any other. Some have sat unsolved for so long, but hopefully one day, police will be able to track down the killers. We have new videos every Wednesday and Saturday, so if you enjoyed this one, then please subscribe and hit the notification bell. Thanks for tuning in this week, and we'll see you soon.